Hey, I'm Nora Resnick. And I'm Diana Matthews. Welcome to Feminist Wednesday's Beaver Talk, the podcast where we give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism. In our world, the guinea pig is always a metaphor. Hair is everything, Anthony. And Catholic priests can have sex. Join us as we deep dive into all the things that fire us up about film and television. The glorious, the misogynistic, and the groundbreaking. This is Beaver Talk. Hello and good morning. Oh my God. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Nora Resnick is in the house. I'm back. In the Beaver Dam. <laughs> We're going to get it right one week. I'm back. I'm back in the Beaver Dam. Welcome back. Thank you for having me here again. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. Erin's uh, on a short summer hiatus, but I th- decided to bring in my favorite person. I was I was um, very honored and floored when you asked me to come uh, sit in as co-host. Yeah, I asked you over Slack, which was maybe a little bit too casual. Um, well, you did. I had I had a um, not chill reaction to it at all. You asked me over Slack, and I think I like pushed my desk chair back and like looked at you, <laughs> and like everybody else in the office was like, "What is happening?" And of course, this is going on between Nora and Diana. Like, of yeah. course, these two can't keep their shit together. Right. I mean, no chill. No, no chill at any point in time. But right. I'm so happy you're here because we had you on for Schitt's Creek, which was one of my top five favorite episodes because it's one of my top five like favorite things of all time that Hollywood has ever produ- produced and put out. You're one of my top five favorite people. So it just all came together. And yeah. here we are again. And here we are. And I think um, what a way to kick off my re-entry into the Beaver Dam <laughs> uh, with with Fleabag, which is... Yes! Ooh, I like that. <laughs> it's a theme song. Um, uh, this is a show that I don't want to, like, um, overstate anything, but this is the best piece of content ever made in the history of the world forever. Um, so coming to it from that perspective. Yeah. Um, <laughs> really, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and it's something that I, I basically badgered you to to keep the animal metaphor going i badgered you into watching i was like hey did you watch this hey did you watch this hey we probably can't talk until you watch this right you held our friendship over my head (laughs) um the way you would hold like an axe over someone's neck it was that important to me it is that important to me i mean and in retrospect like a hundred percent makes sense and we couldn't have been friends if i didn't watch this we just wouldn't have had anything to talk about because my world was so rocked by the show that I needed you to come along on the journey. I mean, I think I watched the first season in one night and I was so taken aback. I don't, it's been like, I know I say this about a lot of things that I watch where I'm like, oh my God, it was the best thing ever and she's so phenomenal. But I was so speechless watching the first season of this show in a way that is unacceptable as a podcast host. (laughs) But also um, just made me feel so many things. I have not felt connected to a character like this in in a long time. I, I mean, I, I agree. I, I feel like I haven't. There's so much about this character that I felt like was really resonated with me and reflected me on screen. Um, not one to one. And she's very flawed. And um, uh, it. It was 
it was like there were there were moments that I was like, did Phoebe Waller-Bridge like go into my brain and take out things that I've thought or said or scenarios I've been in? Mm-hmm. Um, really, just it resonated so deeply, and there's so many um, strong and important themes. Uh, that it doesn't shy away from and it's it's not one dimensional it's not a show that's just about a woman in her 20 or in her 30s and it's not a show that's just about complicated family dynamics or grief or any of those things it's about all of those things um and i think it's rare also to see a show where all of the characters are really well-formed dimensional uh beautiful flawed people yeah <gasps> okay let's try to do it so <laughs> yeah so um, with that being said you're torturing me with having our, us do series one and two uh, in a combined episode well i it's funny i didn't even consider not doing that and then like five seconds before this started kent planted the seed of us breaking this up into two which would have been definitely the move but i almost feel like they it's one big movie in a way and I feel like I stayed with this character almost. I feel like it's like, in my mind, it's just a continuation. Mm. It's not even seasons. But that's also how I watched it. Right. So I had a little of bit of a break because I had watched season one and was waiting for the second season to be released. Did you watch season one in 2016? No, no, no. I'm, oh, not, okay. I'm not that ahead of I was the time. Like, I didn't realize how long this had been out. I watched. Yeah, I, I feel like. The marketing department just caught on <laughs> that this show is incredible and they should promoted everywhere i i think i watched it um in like february or march okay something like that maybe on um amazon prime yeah and then the second season was released on prime in may yeah 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 that makes sense i think what happened is killing Eve became a thing and they're like oh phoebe waller bridge is good we should promote this right oh 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 right oh, right, right, oh right. right we actually are sitting on gold and we should do something about that yeah um, and I think I think this is a excellent show to be discussed on this podcast in particular because um, it deals with fe- it talks about feminism very openly. Like they they the word feminist comes up in several episodes. Um, without it, again, without it being a one dimensional thing, um, where feminism and your relationship to feminism can be a complicated thing. Um, so and you can be a bad feminist and, and still be feminist. <laughs> and Yeah, and what is bad feminism? Yeah. And I think um, there's a moment in the second season that I, you, you've mentioned to me that stands out because she says, or you want to you want to say the line? Oh, yeah. So she's like, it's second season and she's uh, <laughs> they're in this like confessional group where you Quaker. They're in a Quaker, they're in a meeting. Quaker meeting and you have the only time you can speak is if you feel compelled to do so so everybody's sitting in this silent room and she stands up and she says I don't think I'd be as big of a feminist if my boobs were bigger which is incredible and like that (laughs) moment stands out but I went last night I started to rewatch some of the first season to just refresh because you're a responsible co-host and (laughs) yeah you do your you do your homework well I didn't want rewatch all of the first season so I'm uh like partially responsible somewhat responsible um but the idea of bad feminism comes up in the very first episode, I think it is. It's first, No, it's the first episode where they're at a feminist lecture series and the speaker says, raise your hand if you would trade five years of your life for the perfect body. And her and her sister's hands fly up and 
everybody <laughs> looks at them. And it's the it's such a great concept because I think we get so in discussing feminism and I'm I'm a feminist and it's so easy to get into a box of of what it means to be a feminist and how you have to approach feminism. Um, and it it takes the the person living in current society out of it so easily. Yep. Um, and I think as like as a feminist, like I've gotten jealous of women for things that are anti-feminist to feel like envy towards somebody for how they look or how they dress or whatever, but it hap- like it, it happens and it's natural and yeah, yeah, it's just it's human nature almost. And I think that when we say bad feminism, we mean the Roxanne Gay way of bad feminism where it's like you know, you should be this way as like a capital F feminist, but uh, humans aren't built that way. Women are not built that way. It's complicated and your relationship to the concept of feminism and is very different than the practice of feminism. And I think that uh, Fleabag is definitely in keeping with that, with that idea, as you mentioned. Um, I'd love to, maybe we should tell the people about what this show is actually about. Oh, yeah, we just, amazing. We so just dive in. If you haven't watched it, pause this podcast. Go watch two oh, seasons. Yeah, you need to like. Back. Yeah, I will say that Betty's is like. Y- we're going to talk about all of the everything in this episode. Spoiler alert! I think you should watch it before you listen to us. Um, but to to try to sum up what it's about, which I'm gonna about to do very poorly. Um, it's about a woman in her early 30s living in London, who is. I feel like I should have prepared a statement. I don't even know what her like logline would have been about this, but um, a woman living in London who's in her early 30s and um, trying to get through life with complicated family dynamics. And you sort of, throughout the first season, you see her start to unravel a little bit. Um, and and it starts out where you think she's in one place where she's just a quirky person who's trying to get by in a very sort of... Um, irreverent and shiny way and I think as it progresses you see that there's some serious shit going on um that she's avoiding and and not not really dealing with head on yeah she's also mourning the loss of her mother as well as her best friend um and kind of as you said not dealing with stuff head on but dealing with a lot in her life as we all are um, it's a little bit Sex in the City-esque, I found, in that you're following this character who's in a big city, in this case, London. I think London is a character in the way New York is a character in Sex in the City. That's my own viewpoint, by the way. I came up with that. Um, I think that it's dealing with sex in a way that she's almost like an amalgamation of Samantha Jones and Emma Thompson, mm. in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that she, oh, she also talks... Uh, she talks to the camera. She breaks the fourth wall. In 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 such a beautiful and smart way where you're you're as the audience, you're with her on a journey. You're you have insight into her personal thoughts and what she's actually thinking or rea- how she's actually reacting in a situation versus what she's presenting to the person she's with. So there's there's a scene where she's um, flirting with a guy who she meets on a bus and he says something dumb and she sort of laughs and she looks at the camera and she's like, I hate myself. And like, <laughs> like I've been in that position where I've been flirting with somebody and I'm like laughing along and inside I'm like, oh, who am I right, right. now? This is not, you're I, not that great. 
I think my favorite, I mean, one of my favorite moments is the introduction of the sister. Yes. Played by Sam Collins. Um, and she's she's just, she's one of my favorite characters because I don't think I've ever seen a woman portrayed like this anywhere. Um, but they go to this lecture series, as you'd mentioned, the one where they raise their hands and say that they'd give five years of their life for the perfect body. But she's she's about, they just sit down. She's about to take off her jacket. And she looks at the camera and she's like, oh, I'm wearing your sweater. And... Just to be clear, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's Fleabag Sorry, is yes. Fleabag's w- wearing a sweater that her sister thought she lost, but she clearly just stole and hasn't given back. And she's she's Fleabag is wearing that sweater and realizes that she shouldn't let her sister know that she's been wearing her stolen sweater. Right, and you're in on you're in on moments like this with her. And her sister says to her, "Do you want to take your jacket off?" And she's like, "No, no, no, I'm fine." Um, and she just keeps kind of glancing at the camera and it's it's very clever and very funny the way it's done. Um, and actually just to jump off that yeah. moment into like the sibling dynamics of it all, she goes from that moment to like, oh, it's shit's about to blow up. Like we're about to get into a fight because she knows and they're not ta- like they're not talking about not talking about it. And then like they're yelling at each other all of a sudden with and as somebody who has siblings and I have um, complicated sibling dynamics as anybody with siblings does like. It's so relatable. Their their whole dynamic is so relatable in that they love each other the most. They are there for each other in the really, really bad shit. And they also push each other's buttons more. They're also like, fuck you. Like, I'm, there's a scene in, in the second season where her sister, who's a, a you know, very successful, powerful, it's sort of she's the, the antithesis of what, her, her life is the antithesis of Fleabag's life. Um, and the sister says, like, I'm not your friend. I'm your sister. I'm not your friend. And it's sort of this crushing moment. And it's, for me, that's really relatable in in the dynamic of, in one moment you can be like, and not just with sibling dynamics, I think it happens in, in different relationships in our life. In one moment it's like, I'm not your friend. We have this connection that's, outside of our control and then a few episodes later they're like you're the only person I'd run through an airport for like and they are friends and they do love each other and it's beautiful and complicated <sighs> and I love it so much Claire as the sister Claire as the sister I just one of the moments where I deeply fell in love with the two of them and their dynamic is the night of the award where mm-hmm. Phoebe or Fleabag is catering uh, this prestigious award that her sister is giving out, and uh, <laughs> a series hap- a series of events happens that it's like too long to get into. You just have to watch it. But she comes back up. It goes horribly wrong, and she comes back up and she says to her sister, "Hi, how's it going?" And her sister's like, "Good, thanks." And then he, and then Fleabag looks at the camera. And she goes, "Oh, she's furious." Yep. <laughs> and it's like, oh, there's those moments like that. It just like kicks you in the stomach a little bit because it's like she just you're so in on what everybody is feeling and you're so it's what's not being said all the time. And everything is subtext. Everything is subtext. And then her sister will just blow up at her for like, as sisters do the most random, nothing to do with anything stuff, but it's all rooted in this like resentment and very deep seated emotions. I also love the So going off of the, the device of, of talking to the camera and she's Fleabag is so good at, um, understanding people and predicting what people are going to do. And then there are these moments throughout both seasons where she says what somebody's going to do and they don't do that. And she's not always right. Like it, it's a good reminder to the audience that 
she's not the narrator. She's she's an unreliable narrator, sort of, not not a hundred percent, but where she's like, oh, X, Y, and Z is going to happen, and you're like, oh yeah, you said it, so it must be true, and then the person does something else, and you're just as stunned as she is, which is so good, and I don't feel like that's something you see a lot when when the fourth wall is broken. Usually, it's um, either for the character who's breaking the wall to go deeper into reflection or tell us something or predict something. And that doesn't, they subvert that a lot. Totally. I think it's almost like, wait, when I think of breaking the fourth wall, I think of House of Cards and I think of Alfie with Jude Law. Mm-hmm. And it, they're so in control and they're so in their domain and in their element. And I think that Fleabag builds on that and subverts it in really cool ways. Um and it just works so beautifully in a, in a way that I think breaking the fourth wall has become a bit of a trope and it's mm-hmm. become a, it's almost become like a lazy writing crutch kind of like right. we don't actually have to write well, the complex dynamics right. cause we'll just have this narrator say what's happening as opposed to us showing it through dialogue. Yeah. Um, this show does not do that at all. No, it, they, yeah, it, it doesn't do it at all. And then I think it, as that's built up through season one and and the first part of season two, you start to like understand what that dynamic is uh, with Fleabag and the audience. And then all of a sudden it's changed again because the priest, the hot priest who we haven't started to, I'm jumping the gun a little bit, bringing him up now, but like he can, he see, he's like, who are you talking to? And he's, he's aware that she's sort of breaking the fourth wall and it's, I mean, I'm literally getting chills just thinking about it. Um, it. It's its such a brilliant thing because it's so emblematic of he's this character who understands her and is listening to her and sees who she is in a way that nobody else in her life is. And that, that's at least how I'm, I read that is um, every time she sort of looks at the camera or, you know, does an aside, he's like, what are you, where what, are you going? Where are you going? What are you doing? You're not here. And it's, and then there's there's a scene I like uh, I don't know what episode it is, but there's a scene where I, I don't even know how they sort of choreographed this moment where they're talking. She looks at the camera. He looks at the camera and they're like, there's three essentially three people in the room. It's just the two of them. And then you as an audience member is in the room with them. And they're like, she looks, he looks right after her. And it's it's. I jumped out of my skin fully. Oh, I was I was in a hotel room. I was I was traveling for work and I was in a hotel room and I screamed like alone. <laughs> like I'm sure the neighbors at the, the Hilton in Miami were like, what is happening in that room? Because I was like, oh, like I just. Oh, it's a like, jolt of like, I'm yeah. So you have jumped the gun and now you've introduced the most pivotal character at the most pivotal moment. We have so much to talk about before we get to the priest, but I couldn't, I couldn't contain it anymore no i think let's do it so up to this point you are and phoebe Waller-Bridge describes the audience as her secret camera friend mm. um in these moments where she breaks fourth wall and lets you in on what's going on and as you mentioned the priest who comes in in season two the hot priest the hot priest as he is affectionately known um comes in in season two he's marrying her father and step godmother slash stepmother Played by um, brilliantly portrayed by Olivia Coleman. Bless. Who I love to hate in this show. Do you know how she got on this show? No. Tell me. So she, so Fleabag was a play. Yes. Uh, uh, which uh, one woman play that Phoebe Waller-Bridge premiered at the Edinburgh Fringe, which is a very well-known Fringe festival. Love it. Um, Olivia Coleman came to see it. 
I'm not sure if it was in the French Fest. This might have been the one that was at the Soho Theater in London. Um, Olivia Coleman came to see it and she came backstage and said, you know, phenomenal job. Congratulations. Nice to meet you. Phoebe Waller-Bridge was like, thanks. Would you want to play? Like, would you want to be in it if I made it into a TV show? And she's like, you're fucking crazy, but okay. Sure. Why not? Uh, and that she developed it into I a TV mean, show and approached Olivia Coleman and was like, hey, remember that time? And Olivia Coleman was like, 100%. When are we filming? <laughs> Phoebe Waller-Bridge was like, you promised backstage. You promised you have to be in it now. <laughs> it's like Catherine O'Hara coming in for Shit's Creek. It's like, you have to be my mom. Yeah. Um, so, yes, she's brilliant. And the hot priest comes in uh, the first episode of season two. They're at this horrible family dinner. Which is a family dinner that it reaches a level that I did not know a family dinner could reach. Um, I think I think it's such a good introduction into. So so to go back, I'm going to seem like I'm getting sidetracked, but I'm not. Um, the series opens season one opens with this incredible monologue that in the monologue, you learn everything you kind of need to know to understand who this character is, where you you think she she's waiting for and then throughout the monologue hooking up with a guy like she sort of had broken up with her boyfriend you know this guy sends her essentially like a you up text and um you think she's talking about this monologue of her in relationship to men and like you know what it means to be single and dating and and getting nervous before you see somebody and it it takes a turn and it's not at all about that it's a totally self-centered uh concern i don't even want to say what it is because it's so brilliant you just need to go watch the monologue um <laughs> <laughs> we're already like laughing ourselves to death with this um but it it, it it that monologue like in cap you're like okay this is the show i'm watching I, mm-hmm. I get what i'm about to be watching and and the end of the season her life is is even more of a mess than where we started in that moment. And I was thinking a lot, like, how are they going to come back? Like, how are they going to start yeah. season two? Where do you start? And again, it's, you start where you're like, oh, now I know everything I need to know about where these characters are at in their life right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's such a good introduction and a little bit of foreshadowing. Um, but yes, as you were saying, it's a very dysfunctional family dinner where they're introducing um, the, the her parents are introducing um, their children, their their two daughters, uh, the sister's husband to the priest that's going to marry them. And he's uh, somebody who came to the priesthood a little bit later in life and he's uh, drinks too much and he swears and he's sort of. Um, doesn't follow the typical rules of priesthood or what you would expect from a man of the cloth. And and the episode ends with the sisters being like, oh, that priest was hot. And from there, um, the whole second season is the the relationship and dynamic uh, between Fleabag and the priest um, trying to work stuff out. Ugh. Well, well done, can I just say? Because, like, yes, that is where, that is how season two starts. And I think what I really, really loved about the family dinner in the first episode is is exactly as you were saying is how actually how season one ended because season one ends with um the whole season they're talking about boo who's your best friend who uh committed suicide accidentally committed suicide accidentally 
And you don't really, because you're seeing everything through Fleabag's eyes, you don't see why, you don't see the context, you're seeing, you you only ever meet Boo in flashback, um, and not really in context either. The flashbacks are not in context, which is the smart way to portray it because it's done in, as memory. It's done as she pops into Fleabag's head. It's done so well, and and at least for me, I've I've gone through my own dealings with grief and with death. And that's how, for me, that's how those memories come back. It's mm. not contextualized or it's it's not succinct. It's like all of a sudden something will happen. There'll be a moment of like, oh, I'm all I'm back in this discussion with this person who I lost. And it's it's it makes sense to me, but if somebody were watching my my thought process, it seems out of context a little bit or just yeah. in its own world. Yeah. Um, and so the only context you're really given is that Boo's boyfriend cheated on her um, and that she wanted to walk into traffic to hurt herself to make him feel bad. So that she would go to the hospital and then not let him visit her for a Exactly. Bit. And what actually ends up happening tragically is she is killed. And that's that's the only context you're given for the entire for the entire first season. Um, and it's in the last episode of season one that you actually find out uh, that Fleabag slept with Boo's boyfriend. And it was with Fleabag that the boyfriend cheated. And season one ends there. Um, and it's it's gut-wrenching and it's horrible. And it's not completely, it's not completely unexpected, um, but it is just kind of this, oh, okay, this is what we're dealing with. Well, and to, to make matters worse, her husband's sister had tried to kiss her at yes. a party she confesses that to her sister, the husband who the only American character in the show is a real douchebag. He's horrible. Um, but he says, no, I didn't try to kiss her. She tried to kiss me, which is not what happened. Um, and at the end of the, the first season, the sister says, how can we believe you? Like you, you did this to your best friend. How can I believe that you didn't also do it to me or try to do it to me? And so her relationship with her sister shredded and what I loved about how it opens in season two with the family dinner is that you think then, so when I, when I didn't want, you know, I'd been season one and when I was going to go into season two, I'm like, okay, now we're going to get the whole backstory on how this happened with Boo and we're going to get the whole like song and dance around her sister, her and her sister coming back together. And you never hear about that again. You literally just pick up at the family dinner and Boo is only brought up then in the context of the death of her mother. Um, but you never hear about that situation ever again. And I that, to me, you know, so much of writing now, I think as we watch more and more and more TV and we have more access to content, we kind of be, we kind of feel a sense of entitlement that, like, we know how to do the storytelling thing and we, we know kind of which direction shows are going to take things. I was... I was so happy to see that that is not at all what season two is about. There was an interview I read uh, where Phoebe Waller-Bridge said that, oh, I'm forgetting the director's name, um, which is terrible because she she also deserves a lot of credit for making this show what it is. But uh, Phoebe Phoebe and she would go see movies and Phoebe would just sit and whisper what was going to happen next because things had become so predictable. And and she said, she's like, I did not want to do that with this show. Yeah. I didn't want to do the obvious choice all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And and the freedom that the the production companies and studios gave her to do that seemed at least from an audience perspective seems incredible. I don't know what sort of creative battles they're having while making it, but <laughs> seems like she got pretty good range to do what she wants to do. 
Right. Um, and before we get back to the the hot priest, which there's so much to discuss with him, uh, the the thing with like grief, like she she's grieving the loss of her best friend, and still grieving the loss of her mom, which is such a layered thing that sort of double double grief, double loss. And there's a there's a gut wrenching um, flashback to uh you know when when her mom's death was was more recent and she's talking to boo her best friend and she says i don't it's gonna make me cry she's like i don't know where to put my love and and boo's like i'll take it like give it give it to me and she's it just like it makes boo's death that much more tragic because she she did like they 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 were each other's person um yeah (laughs) like as james Carden says i've gone it's like yeah like it just makes the death so much tragic so much more tragic and it makes her so much more alone because the the one person that like was her person and always had her back she doesn't have anymore mm-hmm. and she doesn't have at her her own undoing mm-hmm. oh i think beautiful. i sobbed for the final three episodes of this show i think i just i either i was visibly crying and like had tears streaming down my face or just had the prickling tears behind my eyes um, the last three but, episodes of season two are crushing. Yes, but 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 the brilliance of the show is it's crushing, but it doesn't feel too heavy to watch. There's it's still lighthearted. It's still funny. It's still relatable. So even though there's some some things that that yeah are are gut wrenching, it doesn't. Feel, you're not watching like Schindler's List. And you're, you know, you're not like oh this is heavy. You still have moments of of brevity and and you can laugh. Yep. Uh, in the way that the Brits always make us laugh. The Brits. They're they just better so at it well. than Americans, I have to say. It's funny because like in her 73 questions with Vogue, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is asked, who does comedy better, the Brits or the Americans? And she's like, I think if it's good comedy, you don't, you can't tell. So I'm like, that's a really nice way of saying you're fucking killing the, the game and you're better <laughs> at it. Um, can we talk about... The scene in the cafe, you've already kind of talked about it, but I think we need to get into it more with the hot priest. So so following the family dinner, she starts hanging out with this guy, the priest, and they have insane amounts of chemistry. There's a lot going on with it. Like, it's just bop, 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 back and forth together all the time. But he's a priest and he he's like celibate and he's not interested. Just it's so complicated. Well, it's it's also it's she is somebody who you know she she has sex with a lot of men and like too quickly gets involved sometimes and like it, it's the first relationship we've seen her have with a, a guy who she's not allowed like they're not allowed to cross a physical sexual boundary. Spoiler alert until they do, but they're not allowed to cross that boundary. And so they're actually allowed by not crossing that boundary, the they get they're actually falling in love in a way where like she has a boyfriend and an on and off boyfriend who she like doesn't even really like, let alone love. Like, <laughs> he's an idiot. Like he's there to be a, a body and like because he's reliable and like he's not even an idiot. He's just not the guy for her. I mean He's a bit of an idiot. He, he is a bit of an idiot because he does say at one point, you're not like other women. You can keep up. 
<laughs> she's like, that's not a compliment. Right. Saying I'm not like other women because I can keep up is actually not a compliment. You're actually degrading women. Oh, God. So they're hanging out in her cafe, which she owned with Boo. Um, and they bought a guinea pig together. It's a guinea pig cafe where there's just guinea pig art all over the place. Again, no reason. I just loved it. Um, they're hanging out with the guinea pig at this cafe. And this is where the fourth wall breakage happens. Well, where, it starts to happen before then when he, he but starts I mean, to call when it out. He looks when at he the looks at the camera and, and guts me from the inside. Yes. And what are they talking about when this happens? Because there's an intensity of the conversation where she keeps feeling the need to leave it. Um, oh, gosh, I can't he remember. Asks about but boo, does he not? I think he asked about boo. But I think I believe the, the conversation culminates in she's like, stop trying to save me. Yes. I, for, I I think they're talking about Boo because they're in the cafe, but I actually don't recall specifically, but it ends with, like, he sort of says something to indicate that he's trying, like, which is such a such a typical trope of um, television and movies of, like, man saves woman from herself, and she's like, don't do that. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not here to, that's not that's not our relationship. Like, I'm not here for you to, like, swoop in and be this hero. Which is probably the only moment in a TV show I've kind of felt so protective over a character that I'm like, no, please swoop in and, like, help her at least a little bit. I just, like, was so worried about her for all of season two. Yeah. But she, like, she has to do it for herself. I know, Nora. I know she does. I know. Anyway, so he's holding her guinea pig. And he starts doing this whole, I'm going to save you bullshit. And she says, you've held my guinea pig for long enough. And she takes back her guinea pig and puts it back in the cage. And this is after both of them have looked at us. We're all in this cafe together. Um, and then and then my head explodes because from there, she they don't talk to each other for a little bit. They take a little break. They take a little break. She kind of reconnects with her sister. And then, do we talk about the confessional booth from here? Let's do it. No time like the present. So, I was—I didn't know what was happening till it was happening. Set it up. Set us up for what's happening with the confessional booth. So she booth. she goes to his church um, after hours, uh, and um, he's been drinking, so he he's. He's been drinking and they go. She, have I, they slept together at this point? They have not. No, no, no. Um, you're the flea bag expert. This is why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> um, they've not slept together at this point, but there's been all this tension. Um, and I think earlier in the scene, uh, she she keeps calling him father. She's sort of like in a in a kind of cheeky, flirtatious way. She keeps calling him father, and he says fuck you calling me father like it doesn't turn you on just to say it which is like he's calling her out like he's he's laying the cards on the table of like we're not just friends we have a a dynamic here anyway um i i don't actually remember what exactly brings them to this point but but they go into confessional he sits on the side that priests sit on and she sits on the side that um people confessing sit on and it's it's um she is Phoebe Waller-Bridge is incredible at writing monologues for everybody, but she has this monologue of, I just, I want somebody 
to take care of me and to to tell me who to vote for and what to eat. And she's just like, she's so lacking in um, maternal care and she's so left on her own and her mom died and her best friend died. And she's, she's, it's really the first time we see this character um, not try to kind of put on a brave face and say something um, sarcastic and keep moving. She's just like laser cards out on the table of, of, of what she feels like she's, that she feels like she's floundering um, in life. And he says, get on your knees. And I think as an, at least for me, I was like, oh, he's telling her to pray. And this is like, like very literal Nora. <laughs> like, oh, he's telling her to pray and they're going to do like a thing because they have, the other thing is that she keeps saying she's an atheist. So they have this um, uh, like constant conversation about what it means to be religious and what is God. Um, he says, get on your knees. And then he comes out of his side of the confessional booth. And he actually, he gets on his knees and faces her. And, and then they kiss. And then they start to like, they start to fool around. And then a painting falls off the wall. And they both like take a step back because um, they, they, the sort of like context is like, it's a sign from God. You know, God is like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed to be doing that. Um, and that's the scene, and and it's I think it's a scene that is ta- has been talked a lot about in in think pieces, and the, you know the New York Times wrote about it, um, and I think it it deals with it, it a little bit deals with something that's very much in the cultural consciousness right now of like power dynamics in relationships, sexual relationships. Um, yeah, that's the summary. Uh, the analysis. Yeah, I mean, it it was so intense. And, it, it you know, you're kind of bop, bop, bopping along in the second season of these two, like, being so fiery with their flirtation and it being like, will they, won't they, that kind of thing. And the way it happens, there's such a desperation for both of them to be heard and to be seen. Her with, as you were saying, what she's saying about you know, needing grounding and needing some nurturing and needing some love. But then him in like needing to be honest about his own feelings and needing to kind of like get off, you know, get down from the ivory tower of his life. And it's just two people relating to each other in this very raw way. Right. I think they it's two people that feel very alone in all the other aspects of their yeah. life. They yeah. feel very isolated and then find each other but there's this like gap between you know they they find each other and they kind of see see themselves reflected yeah um with like a with like this big overarching like barrier in that he's a celibate priest right right um and from there you know the last the last but not least kind of thing that happens i guess there's two things that happen they actually do sleep together. They do sleep together. Um, which I had totally forgotten, oddly enough. I know. Because for me, it wasn't the payoff. For me, like the payoff was them finally being honest with one another about what they're what's going on with them. It's mm-hmm. the confession scene was to me was like the level set. Mm. Um, and the wedding, in which the two other people in her life tell her how much she means to them. Right, she she finds she 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 that loneliness is chipped away at a little bit because her sister, as you already mentioned, um, is in a crisis. She's at a moment of crisis where 
uh, she's kind of fallen in love with a man that she's working with, but even more so than that, she has fallen profoundly out of love with the man she's married to. And uh, it's at her parents' wedding, it's at her father's wedding, that she asks her husband for a divorce, again, on her knees, which there's such an incredible like mirroring. Yeah, I think we talked about it a little bit before we got on mic of... Uh, Fleabag and the priest Fleabag gets on her knees and he actually meets her on her knees in that moment and then when her sister gets on her knees um, talking to her husband the husband doesn't meet her Yeah, and and the sister's on her knees begging saying please leave me like I don't want to be with you please leave me and the husband doesn't doesn't meet her and I think there's a lot of symbolism in that yeah and Fleabag's sister tells her that she's the only person she'd ever run through an airport for which is a moment that's like could be so stereotypically corny and cheesy that like I'd love to see how that was written on paper <laughs> how like these two actresses needed to talk through how to deliver that yeah um and her dad tells her that she is the most loving person he's ever met in his life and that she always loves people for exactly who they are as opposed to who she wants them to be and both of these things sound very like, so what? If you, you know, if you haven't seen the show and you don't know the of, characters, yeah, it's context. like out of context. It just seems so like, oh, that's nice. But it floors you because she is so sarcastic and she's so separate from everybody and she's so isolated and kind of her own quippiness that it's like she doesn't really take anything seriously. And it's like she doesn't really create relationships that are of any kind of depth almost. But then you see these two people in her life, her two family members, telling her how much they mean to her, how much like, yeah, they how much that she means to them. And oh, it just like it floored me. Well, it, it's it's so what she is craving to mm-hmm. hear that that the people who know her really well and see her for who she is, not these other men that she sort of dates who see her as like very funny and flirty and pretty and whatever. These people who really know her character that they're accepting of her and they're not because there's so much criticism and there's so much um, history and tension and all the shit that gets built up with family dynamics and and it's it's what she's been wanting to hear for two seasons and beyond what we just see on camera and sets it up very heartbreakingly for the finale are we ready to talk about the ending I mean no I'm never ready because I think, yeah, uh, the show, the show's only two seasons. This was the last season. They're not making any more. So this is the ending, not just of the season, but of the, the series. And I think um, as a, as a consumer and viewer who just like is like gluttonous and I've, I'm like, no, 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 I want more, more, more. How could you possibly do this to me? But as, as somebody who um, enjoys art i think it's a brilliant decision it's probably a very tough decision in some ways but a brilliant decision to to leave off these characters where they end up so with the priest um i'll let you describe <laughs> the scenes you made um, me describe the confessional scene uh so so it's after the wedding um she's waiting for the bus by herself and he comes over and he sits beside her um And she's, you know, they kind of have this like very, it's very stunted, the conversation that they have initially. Well, they had just slept together, I think. They had just slept together. (laughs) 
as you do. Um, and of, as a side you're, note, one you're of, better at setting these up. One for me. of the hottest kisses on screen is they've slept together. They're at the wedding. They haven't told anybody, obviously, that they've done anything, and they're like kissing behind a wall and he like they kiss and then he like walks away to go back to the wedding and like looks back at her and I'm dead. Oh, Nora's a puddle. I'm a puddle. It's so good. Um so he he she she's she leaves the party and she sort of indicates to him like, "Oh, I'm going to take like I'm going to be over there." So he leaves the party, he meets her at the bus stop bench. Um and it's it's a pivotal moment. He has to choose. They've they've slept together and he has to choose if he's going down this road of I want to be with this woman or the road of I want to keep my job and like stay, stay a Catholic priest. Um, and 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 he and they says, say you you choose God. And it's God, said, isn't it? Yeah. She says it's God, isn't it? And he said it's God. And he chooses not to be with her, not because he doesn't love her. He very much is in love with her. Um, but it's not the road he wants to take. And she says, I love you. And he says, what does he say? He says, I'm sorry, or I know, or something heartbreak. I'm going to look it up right now because there's a screenshot of it on the flea bag. Instagram, which I thought was so unkind because it's such a triggering scene for all of us, really. Um, it's it's I mean, it's it's beautiful and it's um, it's heartbreaking. And again, it's not what you as an audience member necessarily want to have happen, but it's what um, it's what life looks like sometimes. She says, I love you. And he says, it'll pass. Oh, and again, Nora's gutted. Oh, I knew it was something so much worse than I know or whatever. But he says it'll pass. And he gets up and and he walks away and he leaves her at the bus stop. And sh- so this feeling by the Alabama Shake starts playing, which is already like, come on, come on. Can we get any more heartbreaking here? Um, and she stands up and she looks at the camera one last time and shakes her head as in like, you can't follow don't me. Don't follow me. You, you, the audience and, and this sort of part of my brain that deflects and allows me to not fully be in situations, not fully feel situations. You, you have to stay behind. I have to go forward and, and live life in a more authentic way. And it's, and, and it ends with her walking down the street. She sort of looks back one last time. Gives a little wave. And that's the end. Oh. Um, and it's perfection. It's it's profound. It's profound screenwriting, profound acting. Um, it's I'm going to be mourning the loss of these characters, especially Fleabag herself, for years to come. Um, I've just never seen anything like it. And I think that I know I keep saying that and I know that like that keeps being the party line we come back to. But truly, I, I'm actually going to go home and like watch the finale again because it is just so perfect. It's I th- perfect. I think one of the things that resonates for me with it is that's sometimes what life is. That's I've, I've, you know, sometimes you are the thing you really want and the thing that you really want and maybe think will be best for you doesn't work out because there's other people involved who have, (laughs) you know, other decisions they have to make for their own life or whatever it is. Um, 
and it's it's so it's done in such a true it's not wrapped up in a little neat little bow where now they can go live happily ever after off in the sunset it's and even the it'll pass line i think part of the idea being that he's he's choosing god because that's for him eternal and forever and and love and connection can be formed with other people and, and like it's a beautiful thing and I'm not a religious person, but like that concept of, of something greater than a person exists, that kind, that kind of concept, choosing that over um, people who are fleeting and disappointing and, and dynamics change is a beautiful and heartbreaking thing. Something I've like, I've dealt with that in my life of like wanting a relationship that doesn't work out or wanting not just romantic relationships, but wanting people that I'm in romantic relationships with or have friendships with, wanting them to to be different from who they are or do things differently from how they're choosing to act and you can't control other people as much as we try. And we do try. <laughs> um, it's just, I mean, it's such a, it's such a gut-wrenching, perfect ending to, to a show. Um, oh. Yeah beautiful i mean there, there's so much more i feel like that's sort of obviously we had, it, we just talked about the end of the show but i could go on forever about like just the imperfect perfectness mm-hmm. of the show and these characters and and how unapologetic they are for being themselves and mm-hmm. it's oh i love it yeah it's i almost the, oh sorry go no, ahead. no go for it i was gonna say it's like it's it's a show like i wish i made this show i don't have the the qualifications or chops to make the show but like in thinking about content that i want to be like this is this is the show that i wish i had made but i'm so thankful that somebody much more qualified made it well no i think i mean you do have the chops and you do have the, the no, skills no, no, to no, do no. This. That, that was not my being modest so <laughs> well, as your don't. friend i'm like don't fucking talk about my friend <laughs> like this no i'm just kidding but um, I think in thinking about like what the types of content I want to see in the world, it's almost like I would point to Fleabag and be like this. And it's not even like I can truly name what about it. I mean, we've tried. We've done our best. We've done our best cut at it on this episode. But it's not even like I can, you know, in thinking about my advice to Hollywood, it's like in thinking about how feminism should be represented and thinking about how women should be represented in female friendship and loss and grieving and motherhood and all of these different incredibly complicated aspects. I'm not even sure Hollywood can make something like this. I'm not even sure that an industry that's so obsessed with image and stars and star power and money and box office return and viewers and ratings, I'm not even sure that, I'm not even sure Fleabag would even be something that any producer or studio exec in Hollywood would be even remotely interested in. But to me, this is what makes, this is storytelling. This is what make, this is what fundamentally changes people's viewpoints on things. I will be thinking about this show. If I ever make something again, this is going to be, you know, something that has changed my view on what content should be all about. Um, Fleabag as a character is someone I've not ever seen before and I don't think we will ever see somebody like that again it's, not, not it's just, for a long time yeah. it's just one of those things for me where it's like it's like the before and after it's like 
there was a time where I watched TV before Fleabag, and now there's a time where I'm going to be comparing everything to Fleabag, which is not fair. But no, it, it, it's one of those. It was profound. It was profound television for me. Yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree, I think. And, and so many of my friends who have, you know, I've mentioned the show to like, have you watched this? The reaction I get is just like a scream of, oh, my God, yes. And oh, my God, it's so good because it's so relatable as, as women in their late 20s, early 30s. Like. It doesn't shy away from the, the beauties and complexities and, and shit that that encompasses that. And it's, again, like I already said this, but like nothing is one dimensional. No, no person, no character is just X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to go back to what you said about it being, it's a, it's dark comedy. It's very dark comedy, but it's comedy. And like there is levity and there's so much levity to it. And I want to just, I came across this in my research for today's episode. The play opens with the line, Three nights ago, I ordered myself a very slutty pizza. <laughs> and like, that's the tone. Fleabag is hilarious as it is, you know, dark and serious and all of emotional and all of those things. Above all, though, it is extremely fucking funny. It's really funny. And and I think for me, because I, I tend to shy away from from art that is too heavy. Like, I feel like I, I get trapped in my own brain enough that I don't really, I don't gravitate towards art that feels like just too heavy. Like emotional labor. Too emo- yeah. Like I don't want to be wrecked at the yeah. end of seeing something I- in that way. Um, I want to be wrecked in the flea bag way where that that's to me, that's what life is like. Like I, I, as I mentioned, I've dealt with grief. I had a a loss in my family last year that was very sudden. And it was funny. Like we, my family and I were sad and we cried a lot and we also laughed a lot. And like the idea that like, again, nothing's one dimensional and you can deal with really serious issues in a way that um, sometimes they're stupid and sometimes you can mock them. And there's, there's just so much, um, La- there, there's layers to life. We don't go through life with just one tone. Um, we go through life with a chord and I don't know music well enough to continue this metaphor, but like, yeah, it's funny. It's very, 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 very funny and everybody should watch. It should be mandatory viewing for, they should show it in schools. Yeah, it's mandatory viewing. It's it's nominated for 11 Emmys. It's, she's you know, she's part of Killing Eve. Baby Waller-Bridge is going to all of the places. She's a writer on Bond 25. And I'm just like, more from you all the time. Thank I you. I know. I hope she doesn't get, like, chewed up by the, the Hollywood machine. I think she'll, I think she won't be because I no. think she, you know, she I, she lives in the UK. And even though she's, She's like, a safe distance from LA. Right, right. There's, there's a good, like, 12-hour <laughs> flight between her and Los Angeles. But I think um, it's so easy when somebody's, like, having their shining moment and is all of a sudden becomes the Hollywood darling. I think it's easy to get lost in that network and to, to, to just have like rules and restrictions put on you. And I think the beauty of her as an artist, as an actress and as a writer is that she doesn't really seem to, as far as I can tell, follow any rules. She's Mm -hmm. like, this is what I want to do. And I don't care that it's not what people do or hasn't been done before. 
um, this is what I, you know, she, she stands by her art. And I think it can be hard to do that as you get move out of like the independent world and into the, the bonds and the, the blockbuster. So I hope, I think I have faith in her. She seems like a very strong, thoughtful woman, but she said an amazing thing about bond 25 where she was like, uh, I don't want to write a feminist James Bond because that's not James Bond. That's a different character. That's not that it has no belonging. She's like, I think we can modernize him. Sure. I think that that's like why I'm being brought onto this, but I'm not here to make him a feminist icon. And I think that it's just it's such a like small thing to say. But I think for me, it shows like, oh, you have integrity and you have you're not here to please. You're not here to like be on the trend. You're not here to like be politically correct. You're not here to like please anyone. You are you are making art and you're making content. And I think I really admire her for that. Totally. And it goes back to the idea of like, quote unquote, bad feminism. And like. I don't know. I don't know that in that way, bad feminism exists because some feminism is better than no feminism and and each situation is individual and like a feminist bond may not be the right thing, but bring, making it modern, making it modern and what does bond look like in 2019 or whatever year it's coming out? I don't know. Um, you know, maybe bond is more feminist because men tend to be more feminist right now. Hopefully. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so there's two perspectives. Ah. Um, I think we did it. I mean, there's so much more. I could go on and on. So much more, but we'll leave it there for now. Thank you so much for being here, Nora. Thank you for having me, Beaver Talk. Of course. And thank you, Kent, for spending all of your Wednesdays with us. And if you want to follow along at Beaver Talk, uh, we post a lot of unsolicited opinions and advice there. So thanks for being here. Happy Feminist Wednesday. Bye. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!